Welcome to the Successful Athletes Podcast presented by Trainer Road, where we interview successful athletes to make you a faster cyclist. And today we are joined by Jamie Berry over in the UK. And Jamie, today we are going to talk about everything from a fast half Ironman time to you doing a ton of training and a ton of work and working through quite a process to get to the point now where you're at four and a half watts per kilo. Pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, that's right, John. <laughs> and then thanks for coming on, man. I really appreciate this. So first things first, let's just cut into it. Um, where are you at or where are you, where do you live in the UK? And then what was your athletic background like prior to doing this half Ironman that you did? Okay. So I live in the North, I live in a small village. It's uh, called Richmond. It's North Yorkshire. So it's sort of North of the country. And I, in terms of mm. athletic background, it's sort of, I've not always been an endurance athlete. So probably up until the age, I'm, I'm 22 years old. So probably up until the age of maybe 16 or 17. So I've just did the usual thing over here over in the UK playing team sports. So for me, it was, it was rugby and football. I, was, I wasn't amazing at them. I just sort of played them for participation. And it was sort of, it was when in a high school, sort of as it was finishing, sort of transitioned out of team sports, purely because it just lost enjoyment of it. So it was a case of I had to, I had to find something else to do. And uh, that's when I took up running. And it, it, it wasn't anything special to begin with. It was just a case of, can I make it through two kilometers? Can I make it through three kilometers? And it was just sort of that progression, sort of going further and further, not necessarily worrying about time. It was just, it was your typical sort of couch to 5K and then progressing from 5K to 10K and then sort of 10K further. And as the distances got further, I sort of, I started enjoying it a lot more. So I, I definitely have like a, not predisposition, but sort of preference over the longer distance. So as I sort of progressed in my running, it was, uh, I was training for, I ended up training for a marathon. So I think it was in 2016, sort of, my father sort of tra- started training with me. So we'd complete uh, my first marathon. So yeah, sort of always, that's, cool. that's when I sort of transitioned to the endurance stuff. And it was, uh, it was only in the summer of 2017, r- just before I was headed off to university, that I sort of got roped into doing my first triathlon by a friend who sort of lived nearby. And there was a local triathlon. He was just like, hey, I know you do a bit of running. You should sort of come and, come and do this triathlon. And he, he never, so I don't think he expected me to sort of like succumb to his sort of peer pressure, but yeah, signed, signed up for the triathlon and, uh, probably maybe three, three months out for it. So I saw, I thought I'd better get my skates on and sort of, uh, <laughs> start training for it. So, so I got my first road bike, sort of start getting in the pool, making sure I could actually sort of survive the event. <laughs> and then you ended up getting to the point where you wanted to take it seriously, do a half Ironman and you even signed up for trainer road. Right. Yes. Um, so was I'm it, sorry. was it the same motivation of just like how you were like two K three K five K is that what drove you to do the half Ironman or did you have some sort of greater goal in mind? So, yeah, I mean, sort of bang on the money there. So sort of. a lot of the people I used to run with before I started triathlon, sort of the local, like the local running club, they, they all did triathlon. They're sort of your typical sort of, uh, middle-aged people sort of they and they sort of started doing the Ironman sort of, they were doing the Ironman triathlon and stuff and sort of listening to all their stories just it was just it just sort of set a goal in my head sort of as you were saying sort of working like sort of getting further and further and so sort of, when I headed off to university for, for my first year I still I, I started I joined the triathlon club and so sort of, so I started enjoying it a lot more but I still I still was focusing on my running mainly because I, I saw significant improvements of within the first couple of weeks of being there and i had i had a bit of unfinished business with the marathon distance so i uh, started continued training for that and sort of 
much to my coach's dismay, went to about one swim a week and sort of one cycle a week. And that was about it. But yeah, as you said, it was, I started doing some races at university and sort of first one was a sprint distance. And then it was an Olympic distance. I started to enjoy it a lot more and more. And it was, I wanted to go further and further. And it was at the end of my, uh, sort of end of, end of first year that I finally decided that I was going to do a half Ironman the following year. So it was, it was in, I think it was about December that I finally decided Mm. to sign up for one, like a a very local one. And then at that point, when, is that when you signed up for a trainer road as well at that point to, to get ready for the event? Yeah, that's right. So around about Christmas time, when I was home on a break from uh, university, I decided to get a smart trainer, uh, cause I'd heard all the sort of good things about them and, uh, good training benefits from it. And that's when I got the trainer, that's when I found out about trainer road, sort of along with other softwares and sort of t- tried to feel them out, but it was trainer road just. I hope you don't mind me saying it. it's the be- the bare bones sort of structure of it, just where it's just your just the numbers and just sort of like your session. It was I, that's the sort of stuff that I love, and that's when I signed up for it. And sort of at the time we were being coached at university, so I'd sort of plug in the sessions, or I'd find the closest trainer road session I could to the sessions we were being sort of set. And it was it was just the structure I just saw massive gains from sort of structure and consistency as you guys are always sort of talking about. Mm, yeah, no doubt. And then that ended up taking you to a four and a half hour time or just under four and a half. So, uh, that is, for those that don't know, that's a very fast half Ironman time. Um, in many cases pace on like a half to a full isn't wildly different. It is different, but it's not like, uh, we're talking about the difference between like a criterium and a century for cyclists that are listening to this. It's not like any sort of pacing difference there. Yes, there, there is some difference for sure, but that puts you a pretty close to being able to do like a sub 10 sort of a time if you were able to do that for the full distance, right? So it's pretty exciting to see that, that you were able to do something like that with relatively speaking, not a whole lot of training with it, um, to, to go over that too, you know, 200 Watts in the beginning and about 68 kilograms. And you started, so about 149 pounds that puts you at 2.9 kilo or Watts per kilogram. And then you ended up before that race getting roughly somewhere around just over 250 Watts at 64 kilograms, 141 pounds. So 3.9, uh, Watts per kilogram, which is super impressive. Um, now going into this, how did you fit this in? Because you were going to school, like, where did you fit the training in? Cause that's like, you were taking a, what were you studying? I assume it was a pretty high load. Yeah. So while I was university, I was studying for a bachelor's in uh, geology, which is a science and sciences typically tend to have quite a sort of high workload. So I think I had about 18 to 20 hours of sort of classes a week. And they were, they were always in sort of three hour blocks. So most, quite a lot of the days would either be three hours or six hours. But in December, when I first signed up for it, sort of my life just turned into like clockwork. It, like weeks were just exactly the same. It was wake up, swim, go to classes, come home at lunchtime, get your lunch sort of maybe fit in another session, go, go to more classes, more sessions in the evening. And it was just, yeah, it was just like clockwork. Everything was so structured, which at the time I would definitely, uh, I'd definitely attribute that to some of the success in the race. But ultimately it was also sort of a bit of my downfall as we all sort of get onto later in the later on. Yeah. Let's actually get into that right now. So, uh, that sort of a routine, a lot of us, we hear that. And I think that we even 
And maybe I'm guilty of this too, of kind of like glorifying it in many times where a person's like, I get up at four, I do my workout, I go to work, I do my swim at lunch. And then after that, I continue work and then I get home and I help with the family or I do more, you know, school or work, whatever it is. And then I'll do my run or my bike in the evening. And it's like this constant, very structured routine that's really draining on the body. At this point, it had run you down physically, like it, to a, to a pretty substantial level to the point where you started to notice effects in your life, um, which eventually ended up becoming, uh, what you were diagnosed with this relative energy deficiency syndrome. So, or reds as a lot of people, uh, pointed out. So can you kind of describe like the symptoms that you were recognizing, uh, then, and what started to feel wrong for you? Yeah. So I mean, there's, there's quite a few symptoms, like not, not everybody gets all of them. Sometimes it's a case of you get some of them, you don't get some of them, but there's, there's some stuff that sort of, it, it's hard for sort of guys to talk about, particularly those at sort of the university, sort of 19 year old males, 18 year old males that should be sort of raging testosterone, that sort of stuff. But mm. sort of thinking back, it got to the point where, uh, when I was finally sort of diagnosed with it, I'd. I think I'd gone for the better part of a year with just with no, no libido at all, just absolutely like ran into the ground, just had no interest in sort of the things sort of 19 year old mm -hmm. guys sh sh typically are interested in. But along with that, it was sort of, as you were saying, you sort of wear it as a badge of honor where like you, you'd always be like, I'd feel absolutely ruined in an evening. I, I think I'd be like passed out at maybe seven o'clock, eight o'clock. I, I was no fun to be around. Uh, with like housemates <laughs> and stuff because like, they always wanted to do things i was just flat out in bed almost sort of just asleep at like seven o'clock eight o'clock but yeah it was just after every session even if it was a sort of easy maybe a 20 minute run 30 minute run it i'll just get back and i just feel just not like you should do like you shouldn't like you get back after those sessions and you should be feeling sort of like refreshed like not fatigued but it was it was as if i'd done sort of like a really hard session and it was Initially it was fine, but it was, it was that case of like, I, I didn't know any different. I didn't know about sort of the relative energy deficiency. So I just thought it was, it was quite naive of me just to think that this is how you should feel if you're wanting to sort of do great things. So just pushing through that fatigue, pushing through constant illness when your immune system is just sort of in the tank, it's just kept pushing through and pushing through and it just all kept sort of piling on top of each other. But then it, I sort of completely neglected to think about sort of the stress from what, like from classes and university life, uh, just sort of deadlines and stuff, having to do that, which is, was also another sort of, yeah, thing that I neglected, which piled on top of it and just made things even worse. Mm -hmm. So at what point did it come to a head where you started to realize, like, I really need to figure this out. Something might actually be wrong. So after the race, I, I had to take a bit of time off just for some university work. So sort of, I had to go and do sort of like a thesis sort of thing. So it, it was while I was away doing that. And I, I, I throughout the year, I'd been chatting to f sort of other athletes and stuff about all of like, so you just, you talk about athlete things. So sort I'm of just like, oh, mm -hmm. feeling really tired at like recovery week and stuff like that. And like, just things that we talk about, just no one else would sort of resonate with. And it was like, I always used to put it off at the time and never used to sort of clock what was going on until finally after I took that break after the race, sort of things were continuing on. 
And I was thinking, I shouldn't be feeling like this if I'm not training as much or training as hard. So it's finally then when I decided that I should probably go and get something looked at just because, yeah, other people are just like, maybe you should get this sort of checked out because no one else sort of goes through this. Mm. Yeah, that's... um that's an important point to have some sort of like relativity. So like people that you can be in contact with or something that can give you like a bearing of normalcy, because we tend to normalize everything that happens in our own lives and especially us athletes. And cause we have to struggle against discomfort and pain and suffering and everything else when we're training. And in many times we let that extend into our lives as well. And we normalize that like, Oh, well, I'm supposed to feel absolutely terrible without energy. That's, that's because I'm an athlete. And we tend to like associate things that shouldn't be associated with being an athlete. Right. And, and that's, so that's really important to have that like kind of true North close by so that you can always get an idea, not compare yourself, but at least just understand where you are relative to that for healthy purposes. Right. Um, so what was the process of going through and, and starting to get treatment for this and how did you treat it? So it was a case of, we went, went to the local uh, sort of GP, so the doctor's surgery, and it was a case of sort of told them all my symptoms. And they, they, yeah, they usually hear it all the time from people sort of just trying to get things off them, like trying to get certain prescriptions off them. And uh, I, I didn't want to be the athlete that sort of went in there looking to get certain things. So I, I was completely honest with sort of like my symptoms and everything. So it was a case of going for blood tests. And uh, so it was at the back end of last year, I think it was November time when I went for sort of the first, first blood test. And so I got the results back. It was, it was a full panel of bloods that I got done and I got the results back and I, I was sent for more, the same tests again, because they were because the levels were sort of at a point where they're thinking there, there must be something wrong. There's some contamination here, or there was an error with the machines or something. So I went back for another round. So a third round of bloods. And then the same thing happened again. They, they thought the levels could not be right. So I had to go back for a fourth round of tests. And it was at that point where they sort of finally realized that there's nothing wrong. It, those are the real values. And it was then mm. when I got the results from that, I was referred to a, it's an endo endocrinologist, sort of the local mm. sort of hospital. And uh, sort of that's when I started going for appointments with him. And uh, the, because of the levels I had, so, I mean, just for reference, I'll try and find them here. But uh, yeah, just for reference, sort of my uh, testosterone levels, for a normal healthy male, you're meant to be looking at sort of 10 to 30. Uh, I'm not particularly sure what the units are on it, but I had levels of 0.8 up to 1. And uh, wow. yeah, and so in a, in, a, in a female, actually, the levels are sort of 1.5 to 8. So I was even lower wow. than what you'd expect in females. And then another thing that was just, I, I, won't, I can, can never forget when I read the letter from the uh, hospital about the uh, results from the blood test. There was, there was one uh, luteinizing hormone. So it's something, another thing sort of similar to do with testosterone, regulating the sort of similar things that, uh, what that does. Uh, they just said it was non-existent. Like it just wasn't present at all. And wow. there's meant to be sort of a significant amount of that. So that was really scary, scary stuff. And when they were sort of when we we're talking through about potential causes for it, because initially the, the specialist that I went to see wasn't particularly aware of sort of uh, relative energy deficiency. 
he wasn't sort of like a big into sport and so forth, so he wasn't particularly aware of it. So he initially thought it was a tumor or like a, something on the pituitary gland. So when I was, I was sent for like MRI scans and being told you, you could have a tumor causing all this is frightening, like really frightening. Mm. Yeah, no doubt. I, I couldn't imagine. What, what were your next steps? Was it being prescribed, uh, whether it was through like changes in lifestyle or changes or, or any sort of medication or anything else? Like if you don't mind sharing, just because somebody may be in this situation, uh, either fearing what's going on down the road, or maybe they're in a very similar situation themselves. So what were your next steps in going through that? So yeah, the next steps, it was a case of sort of figuring out what my options were. And because when, when uh, young people get sort of, so what, so what I was clinically diagnosed with was a secondary, secondary, secondary hypogonadism and hypothyroidism, mm. which is just a fancy term for low testosterone and an underreactive thyroid. So it's a case of usually with, uh, when your levels are sort of low, you can just get away with sort of just taking time off from sport and stuff. And they sort of balance themselves out, but because my because my levels were so low, and sort of much of what the specialist didn't want to have to because I was so young, and it, it can have some adverse effects when you're older. I had to I had to go on sort of a HRT, so hormone replacement. So it was a case of exogenous hormones through sort of testosterone gel and sort of a thyroid sort of like raising thyroid level tablets. So it's called thyroxine. It's been, it's been, mm. it's got quite a bit of press recently from over in the running world, sort of Alberto Salazar and that sort of, mm. that sort of case. So it was a case of starting, starting treatment with those and, uh, root just routinely going back for more blood tests every four weeks, every five weeks. So I've just checked my levels and sure. And they were sort of getting back towards where they should be. And mm. much, much as to my, probably the specialist would have liked, so I've just stopped training. Like it just would have loved me to stop training. And I, I probably would probably would have got better a lot quicker, but just because my life had started to revolve around sports so much and training so much, it was such a big part of me that just stopping just wasn't an option purely for that sort of mental, sort of that mental health sort of uh, side it mm -hmm. pr like provides. Because I mean, most people know in sort of recovery weeks when training is like massively cut down, it, it gets quite hard. You feel a little bit lost when you're sort of not training all the time, but just trying to imagine that sort of for three months, four months was just, yeah, it, it wouldn't have done me a great deal at all. It could have put me in a, a bit of bother in another way. Mm. So I yeah. continued to train. So after, after I eventually found out and started sort of a treatment, I think it was in December of 2019, that was when I started treatment and just completely removed all intensity from training at all so it was just a case of i mean massively chopped the volume as well so beforehand i was consistently training maybe 17 hours 18 hours a week so that just went down to about nine or ten but it was just, as i was saying there's a cap on intensity just everything was zone two or below and just mm. just trying to get better really yeah so you kept it easy intentionally to not stress yourself but still have that connection with training to be able to help yourself out mentally speaking. It's, it's nice to be able to have that something that we're used to something to push against something to feel like you're making progress and, and that, that sort of thing. So still a very, like a very healthy approach. Uh, 
after that like initial period, like, was there any change in, in diet as well that you ended up making or, or, or I, I guess, yeah, let's focus on that because that's going to lead to something else after this, but. Yeah. So what, what I found out when sort of speaking with a specialist about sort of the potential causes for it. One thing, I, I guess I alluded to it a little bit about sort of in training for the, for the half Ironman I did. I thought at the time I was sort of, as I was getting into, it, I was, as everyone does, they go, go on YouTube, go on the internet and sort of look for how to do a fast, like how to do a fast half Ironman, stuff like that. And come across some people sort of talking about this like low carb, high fat sort of a protocol towards training. And I, I liked the look of it and I thought that's what you had to do to get fast in these sort of longer events. So I thought I was doing a low carb sort of high fat approach to training when in theory, what I was doing was just chronically restricting calories. So it's just in a huge caloric deficit. But even though I thought I was doing low carb, I was still sort of scared of sort of the fats like peanut butter and stuff like that, stuff that you should be eating on one of those diets. And it got, it got to the point where I was sort of scared of, scared of taking gels as well, sort of like all this sports nutrition. So just training wasn't fueled at all. Every like sessions all the time were fasted. Every morning session was. Uh, so one thing to help recovery, it was, it was just a case of actually eating properly, learning better about nutrition, sort of fueling sessions that need fueling, especially the longer sort of sweet spot sessions and the ones that aren't necessarily really taxing, but are a big caloric burn. And that's, this is where the podcast sort of definitely came, like saved me a lot. Just listening to, just listening to you guys talk about how, how to fuel workouts, uh, sort of nutrition off the bike as well. Just, yeah, it just helps sort of all the, all the sort of uh, nutrients that you get deprived of. So sort of when you sort your nutrition out, sort of you get the nutrients you need and your body starts feeling a lot healthier. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It completely changes everything, right? Like when you're, it's, it, it seems so logical, but we do find a way of driving ourselves so far away from logic with that. And we think that if we can put no gas in the car, it still should somehow be able to run. Uh, but uh, as we know, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. So it, it needs some fuel to, to be able to keep going. That's awesome to hear the podcast help with the, with that. And of course the podcast we're talking about, if you're listening to this now is the ask a cycling coach podcast, there'll be a link down to that in the description below, whether you're on YouTube, joining us that way or on the podcast. So, um, with this, uh, so at this point you're, you're kind of getting back on track. You have a medically speaking, an approach to be able to get back there. You're making changes in your lifestyle of eating better. You've ramped down your training volume and intensity so that it's just like a consistent variable that you don't have to worry about. And it's not like you're driving yourself into the ground. That was last year around this time or a little after this time, I should say, probably into the winter time. What was your goal? Because a lot of the time when athletes get into a situation like this, it become, it can become really frustrating because they're not where they once were. They didn't have these big goals that they once were instead of a big race goal. You're just trying to struggle with like maintaining health. And that can be really difficult for some athletes. Was that hard for you? And what did you set as some sort of a goal or like, you know, landmark to reach for? Yeah. So uh, as you were saying, so in years, in everyone's new year's resolutions, they, they set sort of targets. who are saying like, I want to do a 10 K in a certain amount of time or a certain TT and sub whatever. But my, so for me, my, I remember doing my new year's resolutions for 2020, like sort of just before new year's. And my, 
my goals were just to get healthy levels again. So I've get back to those like sort of ranges that a healthy male should be. Yeah. that's man. What, what, a, a like a total change, right. From going to like, I want to do a half Ironman time to go to just getting health. But the thing is, that's probably the most important and most hard fought victory that you can go for is to reach those goals at that point. Right. So it's, it's all about adjusting expectations. Now, almost, you know, everybody listening to this knows that in 2020, of course, dealing with a global pandemic that threw out a lot of people's goals and if they were event-based, but in your case, you didn't have to worry about that quite as much. Uh, so did you set any performance goals as well? Uh, and from there we'll get into how you started to ramp your training back up. Yeah. So I, I did set sort of performance goals alongside of that, but they were sort of like, they took a back seat because I, I, for just for long-term health and sort of just for living, mm. I know which one was more important. Sort of getting back to health, getting back healthy was more important, but I did set performance goals. And, uh, so for my final past two years at university, there's, there's university sanctioned sort of triathlons. So there's a sprint distance and Olympic distance, and I've done them every year. So it's been able to, it's nice to be able to see a progression through them. And, uh, sort of big, uh, big goal was to finally go sub two, sub two hours in an Olympic distance. And mm-hmm. then to return to the same half Ironman that I did before the sub four thirty one, and, uh, go even faster there. But as, as we all know, sort of December time, uh, sorry, February, March time, everything got canned, like just races were getting canceled left, right and center. So, uh, so how did you adjust? Uh, I was, I was quite, I say quite fortunate. I mean, my, the races that I wanted to do. So those two, those two triathlons, then I was also due to do the Berlin marathon in September, but they got canceled really early on. So it was a case of that. I wasn't hanging on to sort of the prospect that it might go ahead and just keep training for it, training for it, training for it. So I just took the time when everything was canceled to find, just sort of take a step back, get even sort of, just with everything being cancelled and sort of when we went into a national lockdown over here in the UK, I think it was about March time that that happened. Just the reduction in sort of activity levels, not, I still trained a lot, but while I was away at university, the sort of the load from course load and sort of, I I didn't sort of factor in just how much stress I was putting on myself. Sort of I was always going somewhere. I was always cycling to lectures, cycling, shopping, cycling to see friends. So, just removal of that just helped me just get healthier a lot quicker. Mm. So it, within this, and you and I talked about this, uh, uh, you, you ended up kind of targeting like, you know, just personal things, like specific things, like goals that you were going for. One of them, you ended up setting a super fast 40 KTT time. So I'll fast forward to that and then we'll kind of step backwards. But uh, you ended up doing so 40 KTT or 25 mile time trial. What was your time on that uh, that you accomplished this year? Uh, so it was 50, 56 minutes, sort of like 56 mid wow. around about there. That's fast. For those not listening, that's I think averaging somewhere around like 27 miles an hour, somewhere around there. 26. Yeah, I think just under that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a fast 40 KTT. That's really tough to do. Um, and, and were you on like a, what sort of bike were you on to be able to accomplish that? <laughs> it's funny you should mention that. So at the start of the year, <laughs> at the start of the year, I, I bought a, so I did the half Ironman that I did that we were talking about earlier. I did on a road bike with clip on aero bars and it was just, wow. yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a flat course at all. So I, there were times where I benefited from having a road bike, 
but I did that on a road bike with clip-ons and I, and I thought if I want to get faster and I know there are gains to be had from having a time trial bike like a TT bike so, so I bought a TT bike in sort of January time around January February thinking this is going to allow me to sort of achieve some of those goals in summer obviously that all got cancelled so all I, I was just using the the TT bike just stayed inside on the turbo the whole time. So I finally used a TT bike for that. And I definitely attribute that to some of the, some of the success for going faster in that sort of time yeah. trial. No doubt. So that's a really tough sort of a thing. Let's talk about how you trained and actually let's talk about your performance at that point. So at the end of this year, you tested at 320 Watts for your threshold. So substantially up. Um, from where you were and you're also, your weight increased too, to something that you'd probably consider, I assume a more healthy level. Cause you're six foot two. So you're pretty tall. Um, so is that correct? Or six foot, yeah, four? How, six, six foot two. Yeah, that's correct. Six foot two. So you're a tall athlete. Um, and, and you had raised your weight up to 70 kilograms or 154 pounds. So, uh, with that you're over four and a half Watts per kilogram, which is, it's super impressive way to go uh, on that. Uh, Jamie, uh, nice work. And also probably, I assume, did you, do you feel like you found a more sustainable and healthy weight with that 154? Yeah, definitely. So before when I, I mean, at my lowest, at my lowest point when I was probably feeling the worst, just prior to sort of finding out about everything and before like sort of di diagnosis as you might call it, uh, I, I was about 62 kilos and that was the lowest I got. So 62 mm -hmm. kilos at sort of six foot two. I was just, I was a walking bag of bones pretty much just with a bit mm -hmm. of skin like i remember seeing sort of looking back now hindsight's 2020 like hindsight's a great thing sort of looking back at photos that i did look very ill and i mean I, I kept putting off at the time but i had people sort of asking me i had someone ask me if i sort of had certain illnesses that sort of cause you to lose a lot of weight and which was quite harrowing at times but yeah it was a, it was a case of before i felt like i plateaued at sort of around about 290 watts sort of at that 60, 64, 65 kilos. And I just thought no matter with no, with no matter how much training I was putting in, I just couldn't break through. But it was a case of as soon as couldn't put on a bit more weight. So I've got to that sort of around about 70 kilos mark, as you said, I just felt instantly stronger. Like I could push, push harder and longer and sort of just improve my cycling. So that's, that's what I did at the start of the year uh, when everything was canceled. I decided to take, take a step back and focus on my weaknesses, which I thought was the bike. So mm. in the lead up to that 40 KTT we're on about, this is when I decided to get all in on trainer road. So mm. I've always sort of, I've always sort of played off cycling against running because I enjoyed running the most. So it was always going to take precedence, but I decided to go all in on trainer road. And after listening to the podcast for so long, I sort of, I had a, I had a plan in mind that I knew, I knew what I could do and I which plan to follow to sort of, achieve what I wanted. So I followed the uh, sweet spot base plan. I think it was high volume that I did, but with, with swimming pools being closed and because I was used to such a high volume of training, <clears throat> sort of 17, 18 hours, sort of up to 20 and so sort of high weeks, I, I, I was adding to the high volume plan as well. So it's so maybe like an easy hour in the morning and then the sweet spot workout later on, which mm. I definitely say that going into the sweet spot sort of uh, workouts on already fatigued legs massively sort of help me help me go faster because it just mm. it just like allows you to push harder when you're tired mm. that that's the tricky part about sweet spot training right is the fact that it feels extremely difficult but it is possible 
like, so you kind of have to separate those two things. They don't like, uh, feeling extremely difficult and being impossible as many times the conclusion that we draw in our heads. However, it feels extremely difficult, but it, it is very much possible, uh, even on tired legs, that sort of a thing. So you followed sweet spot base. Did you end up having, uh, I don't know how long that took, but did you end up going into the build phase or specialty phase at all as well? Uh, so it was, I did the sweet spot base high volume one and then went into sweet spot base two. And then I think I can't remember exactly. I don't know if that led me up to the event or it was sort of maybe a couple of weeks beforehand, but then it was a case of, I started, I didn't just go straight into like a, a, a build plan or anything, but I sort of took a few workouts from some of the, I think it was, I took a few workouts from the sort of 40 K TT plan and then some from the sweet spot and sort of just made my own sort of couple of weeks up leading up to the event that I mm, thought would sort of help, yeah. help sort of, uh, put me in a better position going into the event. Awesome. That's, that's uh, super cool to hear. Cause that's really one of the things that we drive toward is athletes learning themselves and knowing what they need, especially leading into events and that sort of a thing. And that's why we have the calendar. So you can make those adjustments, drag and drop and add yeah. the workouts and change things around. So that's super cool to hear. One of the things, so you had a 15% FCP increase with that, which is hugely impressive. Like we said, all the way up to four and a half Watts per kilogram or a kilogram as well. But then you also mentioned that your time to exhaustion increased as well. And that's something that a lot of people, I think, focus very much on the FTP improvements. And they these two things also are not entirely decoupled, especially when it's a sound training plan. They usually trend in a, in a consistent direction with each other. But you also noticed an improved time to exhaustion, with which something like with 40K time trials that's very important to have. Um, how did you notice that improve? And like, what were you kind of keeping track of to, to see that improve? So yeah, the, the time to exhaustion thing, it was, it was always something that I was sort of aware of that. I knew that if you could put like, whenever I test FTP, I mean, I, I wouldn't do the ramp test purely because of the type of athlete and sort of events that I was doing. So sort of the 20, I, I found that the 20 minute tests were more conducive to sort of longer time trial efforts. Like you'd get in a triathlon and stuff so I would, I would always test in the upright position but then going through the sweet spot workouts i found that when i was sort of doing the sweet spot efforts you, you're holding a high percentage of your ftp and as you go through that progression you should sort of you start off at maybe with your sort of i think it's antelopes and sort of geigers where you're at your 10 minutes and 12 minute efforts then as you're progressing through to your sort of longer 20 minute efforts 30 minute efforts you're finding that you're holding a very high percentage for a longer and longer period of time. And as you go further and further through, you're holding it for even longer and longer. And uh, mm. I, I guess, I think I alluded to it a little bit, but I always tested FTP and stuff in the upright position, but sort of leading into the 40K TT, what I found that doing these sweet spot efforts in the, in the aero position with, a, with the FTP set from an upright position, it sort of allowed me to, you, you're always going to expect a bit of a drop-off in sort of uh, mm. watts and stuff going from your upright to your aero position. But what I found was that training through the sweet spot plans in the aero position with an FTP from your upright position allows you to hold that a high percentage of your sort of FTP in the aero position. So what I found actually was that going into the race, I held my, I held FTP for the, for basically a full hour in the aero position, which is quite, it's quite rare because usually there's a larger discrepancy, but that was one thing that was really good to see. 
Yeah. Super impressive. Um, how, how would you explain also the change in your diet thereafter? We talked about before how it was, you weren't focusing on feeling the workouts. In fact, if anything, you were depriving yourself during the workouts, you were, um, leaning toward like a, a low carb, high fat approach, but then you were also scared of the, of adding in too much fat. So w what's your diet like now, uh, in recovering from reds and how did you fuel all of that sweet spot work? Cause it's quite a lot of it. So, yeah, I'd say, I'd say leading into sort of throughout the years as what was building up to causing the reds was, although it was a very clean diet and I was, I was scared of eating unhealthy stuff. Like I was, I, I probably had the most boring diet in the world, but mm. sort of after, after the diagnosis sort of thing, I did a, it was a complete sort of 180 and just my diet went in sort of a bid to get healthy. I just, I was just eating anything just purely just to get sort of the calories in. Cause if, when you're in a, when you're in a caloric deficit for so long, you just, you just need to like, it's, it's like reverse dieting in in theory sort of you're just sort of replacing all the calories you're just making up for really and when you restrict for so long you get the weirdest cravings and sort of you start you start eating all the foods that you didn't allow yourself to have before so my it wasn't exactly the cleanest of diets and it still isn't but it, it it's fueling enough it's fueling the workout not optimal but it's fueling the workout and as you're saying sort of sort of not fueling workouts before but now it's a case of that any as you guys always sort of talk about on the podcast, it's anything over about 80 minutes, 90 minutes, it's fueling, like fueling the workouts with sort of a carb drink or whether it's gels. And then it's get, sort of getting a recovery shake afterwards. It's, it's ensuring that I'm fueled for the workout. Mm. And not putting yourself in any sort of a hole thereafter, right? Yeah. Not putting yourself in a hole because yeah. trying, trying to, I've tried before trying to do sweet spot when you're in a deficit, it's, not it's not a fun experience at all well, <laughs> no. well, like while you can push through the workout it's afterwards and sort of in the lead up to the next workout you're just absolutely ruined like you just don't want to yeah i think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people report sweet spot work being so hard is just because they don't fuel enough leading into it it's it's really I know it sounds simple and, and a lot of the time was, we think that we are fueling sufficiently, but it really does require like very intentional fueling of that work in order to make it uh, more feasible and, and something that isn't as difficult. And man, once you get to that point where you're like, you know, 90 grams of carbs an hour, anything like that, it feels like you're cheating uh, because you're able to, to do so much and the RPE just drops away and uh, it's, it's really great. So, uh, Jamie, this has been awesome. Thank you for the discussion on this. And first of all, congrats on that half Ironman time. Then congrats on the 40 KTT time. Uh, do you have more plans to do Ironman after this, whether it's full or half distance or anything like that? Yeah. So I, I was supposed to be doing a half this summer, but that sort of got, everything has been canceled, but my, my plan was always to do an Ironman in the future. And I just thought I'll just skip out the year. And so I'm signed up for Ironman Hamburg next year. So fingers I'm, crossed, fing, fingers crossed that goes ahead, but that is, that's the main goal. Just going to go completely give myself for that and just go for, go for a sub nine, actually not sub 10, sub nine. Cause I, I felt wow. this year with the half I man, I was, I could have flirted with the sort of four hour sort of time. So, so it's always nice to have a sort of hard goal to achieve for and something to train through the winter for, but yeah. apart from that, it's just the, just the heart, the Ironman in Hamburg and then the deferred Berlin marathon later in the year. Well, now that you've reached like a, a more healthy, sustainable weight that you're feeling the work more that your FTP has gone up, everything else like that. 
I can only assume that it's going to be possible. So it'll be exciting to see how this goes. Uh, Jamie, where can people get in touch with you and, and maybe ask questions or follow up on anything from this podcast? Uh, the forum would probably be the best place to ask questions, but if people just want, or even Instagram is just hit me up on Instagram or the forum. I'm happy to answer any questions anybody's got. Awesome. So, we'll put those links yeah. down below uh, to that. So then people can get to the forum post that will be dedicated to this episode. That's at trainerroadcom slash forum, tons of other cyclists and triathletes on there that you can join in on in conversation. It's a safe place on the internet instead of a crazy bad place on the internet, like many <laughs> forums yeah. tend to be. So, uh, feel free to go there and, and, and check that out. And then also, uh, if you are watching this now and you want to be on this podcast, you want to share how trainer road has helped you become successful in any way, do so at trainerroadcom slash podcast go to the successful athletes banner and enter your story there and how trainer road helped you just like Jamie did. And, uh, in doing that, uh, hopefully we'll get to have you on this podcast and, uh, get to share your experience with other people. So Jamie, thanks a bunch for doing this. Uh, good luck with the coming year. I'm so glad to hear that you found health through the training process. And, and also after finding health, you've are also improving performance. That's what it's all about. So health first, then performance follows. Um, Really great stuff. So thanks, Jamie. We'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.